120 of Edward Reeb's Buddhist Books Podcast. I've decided to make this a special episode for a few reasons. Now, you might have noticed the title of this episode is Padmasambhava 3. So just right off the bat, if you don't necessarily need to hear me ramble on, you just want to know where Padmasambhava 1 is, so you can start at the beginning, uh, go ahead and click right there. That will take you to a playlist where you'll start with Cantos 1, 2, and 3 in one hour and a half long episode, and then Cantos 4, 5, and 6 in another hour and a half long episode, and then the third one will be this. Um, now, those two are on a different podcast. See, what happened was, and I explained it in Padmasambhava 1, so I'll just explain it here briefly so as not to be repetitive for the people who are watching the playlist. Um, a friend of mine requested that I read this book, Life and Liberation of Padmasambhava, on Buddhist books, but at the time I was thinking, ah, I'm going to go in order from the very earliest uh, centuries, starting with Theravada, and slowly over the course of decades work my way up to Vajrayana, um, but then decided what I'd do is I would honor the request, but do it on my other podcast called the Esoterra Nerd Podcast. Um, and, I, you know, it, that podcast is kind of a different subject. I mean, it's, it covers generally a lot of different paths, a lot of different ways of looking at a lot of different paths from a lot of different places in the world. Um, I come from a generally Buddhist perspective, so my, my eyes through which I view these other paths tends to be a Buddhist one, uh, but also I can set that aside and see it kind of in its own light. So, that all being said, those episodes were very Buddhism heavy, and I think that a lot of people, based on the fact that I have this podcast, uh, Edward Reed's Buddhist Books Podcast, and I had two episodes in a row, 118 and 119 on Esoteric Nerd, that were uh, just Buddhist readings, and so a bunch of people kind of like left and just said, okay, well, he's not doing what I used to like him to do. And I was like, okay, well, you know, good riddance, you know, at first. Um, but then, I don't know, I went through a process with it, and I won't bore you with all that. But suffice to say that in another egregore, like 108, was kind of a special episode a little bit uh, here on Buddhist books. 120 is a special episode in another egregore, which is a word that just means groupthink, another, another paradigm, another uh, spiritual set of symbols in the human collective consciousness, if that makes sense. So, um, so that episode, that's why I've been gone for the last week and a half. You might have noticed, maybe, uh, some of you, that uh, there hasn't been a Buddhist books episode in a little while. That's because I had been working diligently on episode 120 of the Esoteric Nerd podcast, which I do recommend after this, after this, if you have nothing else to do today, yeah, check that out. It's 12 hours long, though, so full disclosure about that. However, um, I interview 10 people, so it's not 12 hours of just me talking. Well, it's 12 hours of mostly me talking, but I'll, I occasionally let the guests speak. Um, ten different people whose faces, I believe, uh, uh, future Edward has edited in so you can see them all, all in a row. Yeah. So anyway, uh, ten, ten other perspectives besides my own on, uh, on spirituality and, and uh, you know, uh, various, various subjects. 
uh, some of it uh, about Buddhism. So check it out if you're interested. If you're not, basically you've, you've heard me mention that I'm not an ordained monk, um, but that I was kind of ordained in a different sort of monastery at one point in my youth. So that is an interview with a bunch of other people who uh, were also ordained in uh, that same cult, you might say, and you would be correct. Um, so yeah, enough about that. Check it out if you're interested. Don't if you're not. Um, so anyway, the thing that we're reading today, which is presumably if you clicked on this, what you're interested in, so sorry to make you wait a full six minutes uh, before I got to it, is uh, it's called The Life and Liberation of Padmasambhava. And what it is, is in the 14th century, so in other words, the 1300s, there was a man named Orgyen Lingpa, who was considered a great guru in his time. You can see I have my notes here on my phone here. Um, and he recovered, discovered, he was what they call a treasure finder. He found these old, you know, writings in the original 8th century uh, the, the first Vajrayana temple in Tibet that was commissioned by the Dharma king, who was the husband of Yeshitsokyo, who you met a few episodes ago. And you remember I talked about the guy that came and taught her? Well, that, that's Padmasambhava. And usually there's a great deal more emphasis put on him than there is on her. So I, in the, a few episodes ago, was putting the emphasis on her just to be different. It's something I do. And uh, so... So I've noticed a lot of uh, sites on the interwebs uh, will put he, that he recovered the text in quotes as if to imply that he wrote them himself and then claimed that Yeshi wrote them. Um, maybe, you know, uh, we don't have a time machine. We can't go back and spy on him with, uh, you know, a drone camera. Or maybe we can. Maybe at some point in the future someone will do that. But, yeah, you know. It's uh, it's safe to hold a little bit of skepticism, but I think for today, if, if you would like to join me in um, what they call suspending disbelief, and we'll just assume that he found them, and they were 700 years old at the time that he found them, approximately, and, uh, and then, you know, they were rewritten and so on in Tibetan. Uh, at one point, probably, I don't know, 100, 200 years ago, they were translated into French. And then later, they were translated from French into English. So they were translated into French originally by Gustave Charles Toussaint, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Then they were translated from that version into English by Kenneth Douglas and Gwendolyn Bays, who you saw in the opening crawl. My apologies to Mr. Toussaint for not including him in that. Um, and then I will also add that they were corrected uh, using the original Tibetan by Tartang Tolku. So, yes. So basically, this is the English translation of that story of the life and liberation of Padmasambhava as it was written by Yeshitsogyo and recovered by Orgen Lengpa. So worst case scenario is this is something written by the great guru of 14th century Tibet and he claimed that it was written by Yeshi or he channeled it. The, the thing is sometimes with the treasure finders it's like acceptable for someone to find something in a dream 
or uh, to to find some mystic scratchings under a rock and to interpret it through deep meditation and then interpret it in the form of a longer text. So I think maybe that's where people are getting at when they say, oh, it was recovered. Um, but, you know, he says he found it in the Red Temple um, built by the Dharma King. I'm going to take his word for it and say that we are actually reading the words of Yeshi Tsogyal, wrong religion, anyway, uh, about the life and liberation of Guru Rinpoche Padmasambhava. Is that enough of an introduction? Have I been talking too much? Should I get to the reading already? Well, I agree. I think I should. By the way, I know some people think it's disrespectful uh, to place statues lower than oneself, but I don't know. It would look funky if I was down here and I had them up on a shelf up here. Maybe it would be more appropriate in like China or something, but uh, I don't mean to be disrespectful by having them here. Just so you know, in my personal egregore, as I am the head of my own temple of one, just myself, um, it's not disrespectful to have them on the table next to me. So just so you know where I'm coming from with that. And with that, uh, let's cue the, uh, the Tibetan bells by Henry Wolfe and Nancy Jennings, all these very Tibetan-sounding names, right? And I will begin to recite Canto 7. The Prophecy by the Yogi Nuden. The Prophecy by the Yogi Nuden. Dorje of the Investiture of the 1002 Showing the metamorphic body like a great glacial lake is the manner of entrusting a thousand Buddhas with the ten powers. In the completely adorned world, with four very joyful and beautiful continents, in a region situated at 84 leagues, from one of these four continents, sovereign, wide, and vast, in the very center of the palace of the mass of merits, the very pure. Ten thousand spacious parks enhance it, and it is there that in happiness sits the emperor Dhritarashtra, in possession of the seven jewels of the royal power endowed with eloquence. Sovereign of the four continents, he has 700,000 queens. Wow, making Solomon look like incel. And the queens have a thousand sons, each, sorry, <clears throat> I'll continue each blessed with the 32 auspicious signs. Now, the great king, king excuse me, the great king, Dhritarashtra, having gone during the full moon to the park, dotted with flowers of every sort, gave himself over to the pleasures of love. 
The best part about this book, no dots. No three dots every 10 seconds. Oh, 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 oh. Let's do this more often, shall we? The Queen Dampa Mamaima and the Queen Paimaima having bathed themselves in the pool of joy and sprinkled themselves with perfumes. Where's Udayan? Just kidding. Uh, joined the king Padrapadmasambhava on the throne. And each one conceived a royal child of beautiful form, lovely, delightful. There was more than the richness of their complexion. Both, seated with crossed legs, appeared in a miraculous manner. And at the same instant, from the higher heavens, it was proclaimed, quote, This child is Dharma Sattva, Paimaima's son is Dharma Mati. End quote. This the voice of the gods caused them to hear. Then the two children began to speak in verse. Quote, to the one whose whole thought goes toward awakening. To the protector of the world, who has appeared in the land, pious minds pay homage and join him in numerous company. Noble and imminent is the one who by the roots of his virtue causes the happiness of Jambudvipa and the good of all beings. Best of the jewels which there is in the holy heaven. Best of men, he has no equal. With, end quote, with these words and others like them, they expressed themselves in many stanzas. Then, once weaned from their mother's breasts, they came before the king Dra. Dirtarastra, and after bowing at his feet, they stood joining their palms. Quote, Dear Father, we beg you to listen to this. To achieve the Dharma in ten million periods of time is difficult, and the sages never give up the quest to obtain awakening. This dharma of the absolute calm of nectar, which is not comparable to any other, gives joy to all beings. Therefore, the holy dharma is said to be the best jewel. End quote. In this way, and with many a stanza, they express themselves. Then the guardian of the land, King Dirtarastra, went to find in his hermitage the master Nuden Dorje, 
yogi of the secret formulas. And standing back with his hands joined, the king said, quote, You whose strength in the Dharma brings tears to the eye, you always show your goodness to all beings. To the most secluded of the queens were divine children born miraculously. Free me from all apprehension. End quote. When in these verses his prayer was expressed, Nuden Dorje answered, quote, Varied as well as vast is the revelation of the Dharma. There is in this an omen, a happy sign. Of the numerous bodies of the thousand Buddhas, let the names of your sons be put in a jeweled chalice. And by placing them in the center of a mandala, all will have fulfillment. End quote. Then the king Dhritarashtra, who in the center of his lofty architectural abode was Bhadrapadmasambhava on the throne, withdrew himself in meditation and had this thought, quote, Since without exception, all these boys of mine are equally and genuinely unexcelled, which one from among all these boys will become the first Buddha? End quote. And he thought of the procedure to discover the answer. The chalice of the seven precious substances was prepared, and after purification, milk was scattered. As were carved jewels and fragrant, fragrant flowers, the names of the princes were written and placed in the chalice, which was decorated and made beautiful to behold by peacocks, plumes, necklaces, a profusion of rare things, many water lilies, and the wish-fulfilling jewel itself. The chalice was placed on a lotus, and having opened the mandala which included the precepts, Nuden Dorje made entreaty for seven days with divine flowers, incense, and powders, balsam perfumes, and anointings of several sorts, cymbals, and other instruments, for seven days he paid homage. In the presence of the king, the queens, the thousand sons, and their following, the two of miraculous birth put the chalice forward. Then Duden Dorje, do they mean Nuden Dorje? Is this a new character? Perhaps it's a typo. Continuing, celebrated the investiture. He conferred 25 general powers, 10 varying powers, and as special powers, four rivers of power. From inside the prophetic vase, the names were drawn. 
The first which appeared was Prince Visudamati. Immediately the earth trembled violently. And in the hands of the queens and their female attendants, sound failed in the cymbals. And all the instruments ceased to play. Then for this prince Visu Damati, whose resounding name was first, it was predicted that he would be Buddha Kakutsunda. After him appeared Prince Visu Dajaya. It was predicted that he would be the Buddha Kanakamuni. After him appeared Indra Santi. It was predicted that he would be the Buddha Kasyapa. After him appeared Prince Siddhartha. It was predicted that he would be the Prince Sakyamuni. He's from the first movie. He is. Sorry. After him appeared Prince Kaksivat. It was predicted that he would be the Buddha Maitreya. After him appeared Prince Agramati. It was predicted that he would be the Buddha Simha. Finally, there appeared the name of the youngest, Anantabuddhi, for, for whom it was predicted that he would be the Buddha Adimukta. Here the, mater, the maternal relatives interjected, quote, After the final Buddha, who will be left to be born of us through natural development? End quote. To which Anantabuddhi made this reply, quote, The Buddhas are equal to the expanse of the sky. On reflection I see beings as never ceasing. Let my prayer arise in a solemn vow. Hear it. May the extent of your lifetimes in suffering, as many as there will be, be added to mine. May the sovereigns of the Dharma, all of them added together, be my greatness. End quote. As soon as he had spoken, the gods granted his wish. Quote, May your thought come to pass. The, ten, the, the thousand Buddhas, incomplete by one, will be made perfect through the Tathagata Adimukta. But the names of the two miraculous births did not appear. Oh, that's end quote. Now I'll change my voice. But the names of the two miraculous births did not appear. And they were asked, quote, what is there for you? End quote. Prince Dharma Sattva said, quote, The one who will protect the thousand elders from interruption, the one who unites, he will be Vajrapani. End quote. Prince Dharma Sattva said, Quote, the one who requests the thousand elders to teach will be Brahmendrakinta. End quote. 
Then the, the thousand princes confirmed equally in the presence of Dharmasattva and Dharmamati the vow of those two sons of the family. And in reply, Dharmasattva said, quote, I make the vow that I may protect you from interruption, that I may hear the Buddhist teachings exoteric as well as esoteric, and make a wish, a wishing prayer as the teacher Vajrapani. And then Dharma Mati said, quote, I make the vow that at the time you win awakening, I will urge you to turn the wheel of the Dharma. As the listener to the Dharma I have urged to be taught, I will make a wishing prayer. End quote. So may it be. Of the history unabridged of the lives of the guru of Udiana, Padmasambhava. This is the seventh canto, the prophecy by the yogi Nuden Dorje of the investiture of 1,002 Buddhas. Sealed Oaths. There it is. So, for those who are relatively new to all of these sorts of things, um, and you've been listening to this podcast before, that was very much Vajrayana. Um, in particular, I think it's safe to call this Nyingma Vajrayana. In other words, old school Tibetan Vajrayana specifically, because there's other Vajrayana schools. There's Vajrayana that was developed in Nalanda and other places in India um, before it was brought to Tibet. There's Vajrayana in the form of Shingon in uh, Japan, which is sort of, you know, Vajrayana Buddhism brought by Kukai um, that is Shinto friendly. So they, they, it, there's Shinto spirits around rather than bone deities. So, so Vajrayana has uh, a couple of, well, more than a couple, but generally speaking, it has the Tibetan form and the Japanese form in present day. Um, and in the past, if we had a time machine, um, or if you can travel back there astrally, then you can experience old Indian Vajrayana, as well as Chinese Vajrayana, and other, other sorts of Vajrayana. But um, a little different, you might say, than the... Uh, pre-sectarian early Buddhism that we've been reading. Um, now, the tenth of the ten folks that I interviewed in that episode 120 of Esoteric Nerd is a, uh, uh, a follower of uh, Dzogchen, uh, Vajrayana Buddhism, Tibetan-based Vajrayana Buddhism, and he had an interesting point when I told him that I'm reading everything in order. He's like, in order? Wow. What does that mean? And I said, well, I'm starting with the earliest and moving forward in time. And he was like, oh, right. Order. As in, if, if you, you believe in time, then you start with the earliest and move forward. I personally don't believe in time. He had a very different perspective than I, though we are definitely brothers 
in a sense. Um, and he is the sort of person who will seek out a guru who has what he wants, you know, to attain and will stick with them and learn from them until he feels he's attained it. Whereas I, who had similar but different experiences as he in our shared youth, um, opted not to do that and, uh, and to go the long route of, uh, of reading all the books and uh, working it out for myself. Although seeds were certainly planted at a very early age by my dad who had um, sought out gurus throughout his life and uh, did his best to package it all up for his young son. And uh, well, anyway, enough about all that. Um, in other news, you might remember a, a few episodes ago, I mean, a part, of, part of the inspiration for this was I haven't been sticking with uh, the early Buddhism. I, we had a Mahayana episode where uh, we watched that movie, uh, uh, Shanzong, about the uh, 6th century common era Chinese monk who traveled from China to India and then uh, studied at Nalanda and then came, and then came back with 640 some odd um, Buddhist texts. And you might remember if you watched that episode that it all started with a British man who read uh, Sh uh, Shanzong's book. And then he went and found Nalanda, you know, with the help of others, no doubt, and based on, based on the book. And uh, look what just arrived today. Shanzong's book. So that book was about, so this is volume two, actually. Volume one is still on its way. It should arrive in a week or two. I don't know, but I'll certainly let you know. I'm not posting pics of this on the, on the interwebs like I normally do when I get new books because I want to wait till I have both volumes. But um, yeah, I'll put this, I'll put this on the, uh, the agenda and we can read the, the life story of that heroic monk um, as part of the history of, of Buddhism kind of around the same time as Buddha Gosa was uh, commenting on the Theravada. We can, we can check in with uh, Shanzong talking about his journey from China to India and back and uh, all that he learned and his experiences directly. I mean, the movie was great. Sometimes you watch a movie and it's so good you want to read the book. Well, this is the book. I mean, the source text, if there is any. Um, is there anything else? Have I forgotten anything? Special thanks to our special guests, Yeshi Tsogil, Padmasambhava, and Vajrapani. And uh, special thanks to you for joining me on this journey. And uh, next, in uh, episode 121 of Buddhist Books Podcast, we will be resuming with the old school Theravadan uh, in the form of the Vinaya Pitaka with part 58 of the Tipitaka in which we'll, uh, I believe, I believe we're at Pakitiya 35, and we'll, we'll move forward from there. And then every once in a while, I won't commit to how often. I don't know whether it's every 20 episodes of uh, our, our, our regularly scheduled program, or every so often, on special occasions, we'll, we will continue with the cantos of the life and liberation of Padmasambhava until we've read all 108. Um, so that was number seven. And... Uh, all right, so I will stop rambling, and uh, I hope whoever you are that you enjoyed this. I often wonder who would who would watch a show like this one, um, but whoever you are, I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, 
blessings to you and I will perform the closing that I always perform, the prayer my dad taught me when I was very young. To the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, to the spirits of light among us and to the spirits below, we send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings be in peace. Until next time.